Here we go. Yeah! The Earthbox Podcast. Welcome to the Earthbox Podcast. Well, are freaking God! Earthbox. That is a made-up name. It's my gamer tag. Yeah, he's a great man, by the way. Yeah, baby, yeah! Here we go. Like it. Come on, like it. Subscribe to it, please. Earthbox. And welcome back to the show. Thank you all very much for joining us. That's right, it's me and 404 Missing Link, my co-host. Please follow us on Rumble and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Share the show with everyone you know, and of course, don't forget to smash the like button with a hammer or a frying pan or the blunt part of the axe or the sharp part of the axe if you like. Whatever... Whatever suits your fancy. 404, how you going, mate? <laughs> I'm good, thank you. You have got so much energy for this morning. Oh, I love you know, it. If I, <laughs> if I got up when you got up, uh, I would not be having this much energy. I love it. I love it. Yes. Really excited to be back and uh, to get stuck into some of the stuff we're going to be talking about today. It's uh, 6 a.m. on this side and 2 p.m. on your side, which brings me to my next question. Yeah. I think everyone is very interested to know. No, actually, I don't think that, but I have to know for myself. Is the, so we call it, in the States, we call it military time. You know, the 24-hour clock. So the only reason I have any idea of military time is my job. I like my job. It's, although. Um, having so much fun with you on this podcast makes it very difficult to go to my job. But anyway, that's only part of what I wanted to talk about. <laughs> is uh, is the twenty four hour? That's that's what you call it, right? The twenty four hour time. I don't know what people call it. Uh, I've never heard of anyone call it anything. I guess uh, it's just the time, just, yeah. And that's what it's it, just the time. It's most commonly so. You would say fourteen hundred, not. Two. No, we would just say yeah. We would just say two. Yeah. Oh, you would. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We just say oh, it's two p.m. Since we've been, you know, having our our back and forth here, and and this awesome format where we kind of bridge the Atlantic culturally and you know through news media, etc. I've been reading a lot of articles, you know, from the Telegraph and the Guardian and the Daily Mail and. Sky News, et cetera, your uh, at least European maybe news outlets. And I see a lot of 24-hour time. So it makes me wonder, is that because nobody, I mean, I, I feel like nobody over here knows what time it is if you say, oh, it's 1,500. So do they read it one way and then, but just say it's three or it's yeah, seven? Yeah, so if you say it's two PM, you would write it fourteen hundred. Uh, yeah. Or if you say <laughs> two AM, yeah, it's just O two hundred. That's what, how they would write it. And what about the half but, hours? This is such a boring way to start. I don't know. It's really interesting to me. But I was yeah. wondering about the half hours. Do you say you'd say like O two thirty? No, we would say half past two. Ah, very good. And then if it's like 2.45, you'd say quarter to three. Gotcha. Or like, do you do like a 15 past? 
or ha- a quarter past. We would say quarter past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's get into more interesting topics. What is the <laughs> weather like over there? Actually, the weather is stunning. This, it's stunning today. Oh, I know. It's it getting is. hot. It, it makes it really hard. Well, to go from this, as I was saying a moment ago, to go from this, which is excellent, how I would, I would love to do this every day, to not only have to go to my job, which I like, but the, the intense heat that's coming, it's going to be like 90 degrees today and oh wow hot and dusty and it just well it's uh to to put a positive spin on it it motivates me to work extra hard on this show do you do you like your job your day to day my day today is uh my day today is really fun obviously i'm my own boss so that helps out a great deal yeah yeah <laughs> that sounds you know, i've only, yeah. Yeah, I've only got myself to complain at, so that's the... Uh, are you doing, got, without, yeah. without getting too specific, are you doing what you, what you wanted to do when you were 12? You know, uh, no, I could never have guessed I would be doing this. What did, you no. want, what did you want to do when you were 12? I think I wanted to be a scientist. I think I wanted to, like, make chemical explosions and stuff. Oh, that's you awesome. Know, it's want to do. <laughs> I wanted to be you? I wanted to be a marine biologist because oh, I cool. I love the ocean and the creatures in the sea and I think I actually I have I, I think it was born out of a, a, like a shark phobia. Um, I don't know, like my myself and my wife were both like very anxious when it comes to being in in deep water and not like not being able to see the bottom. Like the idea of just swimming in the open ocean off the side of a boat or something is pretty terrifying for me and always has been. But I think that was, you know, from an early age, that was where my interest in the creatures of the deep came from. Um, because even as a small child, you know, read, I had big, you know, shark picture books and, and one of my, one of the creatures I found to be the most interesting was the uh, ancient prehistoric shark, the Megalodon, that was, you know, the size of six uh. school buses or, or something like <laughs> that. Just like horrifying monster from the depths of the ocean. I think it's also really interesting that we don't like the ocean is such an unknown, you know, like nobody's ever been to the bottom of the Marianas Trench or at least last I checked, yeah. they hadn't. Um, no, I don't think so a very uh it's very mysterious and it also i mean we we didn't plan on talking about aliens but this is kind of how the conversation goes um there's a lot of people that have this theory that the earth may be hollow or at or at the very least that maybe the aliens you know or you know extraterrestrials ufo's whatever it's like calling calling them aliens sounds too hollywood at this point, it does right since it's becoming since everything's becoming so real and mainstream now. There was a story that just came out, and a lot of people are saying that it was just meant to cover up another story about uh, Joe Biden's corrupt family. Um, that I guess a whistleblower has come from NASA or the Department of Defense or who knows where that says, "Oh yeah, we found these non-human aircraft," and uh, 
it, I don't know. I, I would, I would love to just be mesmerized by the spectacle and the, the concept that, oh, we're not the only people alive on this planet. But yeah, that'd be really cool. I just don't really believe anything that anybody has to say, but which is mainly because corporate media only prints what corporate media wants. And it's yeah. been, it's been really interesting how uh, intense all of the coverage of Ukraine, for example, mm. has sort of, I mean, when it kicked off a year ago and even up to a couple of months ago, like we said last time, it was very intense. Everybody was into it. If you were on in the States, if you were on the left, you thought you, you had to, you know, the Ukraine flag in your bio. And if you're on the right, you were <laughs> basically right next to the right next to the rainbow one. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> You were basically protesting how much money was being sent to Ukraine. And I think that was kind of part of the reason why the discussion has cooled off a little bit. But uh, this morning, and I, I guess actually yesterday, the news came out that Russia or Ukraine or terrorists have partially destroyed a dam in uh Kar Karkarov? is that how you say it uh Kokovka yes there it I'm is sure. forgive my american accent <laughs> yeah Kokovka that's how you say that it's interesting that it's uh well and and so i i sent you this uh podcast 30 minute podcast from these guys at mm. the at the duran um i've been listening to it actually listening to it with a sort of un non-biased ear and and I, I i came in to listen like i started listening to the duran because it was being promoted by a guy on another podcast that i listened to and I don't recall the big topic of discussion when I started listening a few years ago or maybe just a year ago, but now it's gotten into Ukraine. They seem to have the inside story, but they're also big time Russia cheerleaders. It, like when I was listening to it in that sort of unbiased manner, I can, one of the guys, they're both called Alex, um, funnily <laughs> enough. And one guy seems very, very pro-Russia, but I don't know if he's very pro-Russia or if he's just anti-Ukraine. And I found myself getting into this headspace where I thought, boy, are these... Any Anytime I heard people talk about, oh, you're spreading... You need to be banned on social media because you're spreading Russian propaganda. You need to have your YouTube channel taken away because you just keep spreading that Russian propaganda. I listen to these yeah. guys, and even though, you know, the the guy that seems more... Uh, I, I would say... I mean, it, it's a similar, you know, two-person setup where one guy is more the interviewer and the other guy is the more the interviewee. Mm. The interviewee seems to be a little bit more level-headed, and he sort of qualifies what the he's English saying. English guy? Yeah, yeah, by saying, um, 
you know, this is just the Russian reports, but he seems very eager to, to, to believe what they're saying. So let me see if I have this right. The story is mm. a dam was destroyed in Karkarov. No, Kar- Kar- Karkovka. Yeah, <laughs> I, sh- Kakovka. I should have it in front of me. <laughs> Kakovka. Now, this area was controlled by the Russians at the time. It was, it's Ukrainian territory, but it had been taken over or you know, in, invaded by Russia. Is that part right? Uh, yeah, so, I mean, the Dnipro River is really, the Dnipro is really a, like, line that cuts off both sides. So, you know, the Russians controlled the dam for sure, but mainly because all the major controls for the dam were on one side, and then they controlled some areas on the other side, but n- nothing too crazy. So I guess the first question that most people would want to know the answer to is... Mm. Why would and and see well I think maybe we should go back to talk about yeah, Nor- sure. Nord Stream for a minute. Sure. Um, a, some new information has come out within the last couple of days. Um, but what do you, as of this moment, what do you know about the the destruction of the Nord Stream pipeline that supplies natural gas? the pipeline that runs through the um the black sea is that right from russia to germany and basically su- supplies all of europe with natural gas from russia the story goes uh someone destroyed that nord stream pipeline to stop russia's ability to sell its natural uh natural gas to europe the story as it came out was Russia destroyed its own pipeline. And I think anybody with common sense would go, why yeah, completely ridiculous. Why would they do that? Mm-hmm. Then there was also a story that uh, probably made its way to your side of the ocean. That's Liz Truss, the UK prime minister at the time sent, yeah, idiot. Uh, sent Anthony Blinken the United States Secretary of State, a text message that said it's done, you know, moments after the Nord Stream pipeline was attacked. Yet the people on the left, the leftist media in this country said, no, it was Russia. It was definitely Russia. They want, they, they want you to think it was, you know, they, they never really had a good reason. This is why I come down more no. on the right side, the conservative side of politics, because it seems like all the all the leftist outlets are just they they sound like idiots. They make sweeping claims and they don't put facts. I mean, I'll, I'll go like once a month. I try to force myself to read a CNN article, and I can only get halfway through it before it's like, oh, this is just propaganda. It's claims with no evidence to back it up. It's it's yeah, for convincing. Sure. I mean, it's not informing me. It's convincing me of a narrative. So what yeah, is your absolutely. what's your understanding of what happened with Nord Stream? Well, I mean, my, my understanding is that, you know, it's not just left media outlets, that most media outlets haven't got a fucking clue what's going on in, uh, in Ukraine. And this Nord Stream pipeline situation is exactly the same as what's happening 
uh, in the dam. Uh, and a lot of news articles, like you say, are just running with um, basically unfounded claims uh, of who's who's done it. Now, this recent stuff that's come out is is a little bit different how the US know, knew that Ukraine was plotting an attack. And I'm glad that they're not saying that Ukraine has done the attack, that they were plotting it. Uh, because there's, <laughs> there's no evidence to say that anyone has done it. Uh, and it's the same with this dam. There is no evidence that says uh, the dam was blown up and then the dam broke. There's evidence to say that the dam was damaged previously. And my favorite, my favorite uh, theory behind it is that the dam was damaged previously and the water level rose and rose and rose to a point where the dam could no longer sustain that water level and the dam broke from, from the water pressure. That was my favorite theory on it because where the explosions supposedly happened is right next to a residential area. And as far as I can see or hear, there's been no real reporting on any large explosions that you would have heard because it's reinforced concrete. So you need strong enough, you need strong enough weaponry to get through that, uh, to get through the spans and the front face of the dam. So, and you see how much water is behind it. It's a great deal of water. It's full. North, yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah. I mean, it was beyond full. It was way above what it's supposed to withstand. Um, so, that makes a lot of sense. That's very be- that's very believable um, because I know here in in my neighborhood just uh, oh a matter of weeks ago there were flood warnings because uh, there was still a lot of snow in the mountains and then there was a week in uh, oh maybe it was last month it got really hot. And all of the snow was melting and the alerts were going out. Watch out for flooding. I mean, we didn't have any dams to worry about. But if it was a similar situation in Eastern Europe, where there's still a lot of snowpack, still a lot of uh, winter weather accoutrement, <laughs> then yeah. the heat rises, the water melts, it is going to put a lot of pressure on the dam. So yeah, for sure. Why, if you look at the damage that the dam has caused, you can see that it really benefits nobody. And from the coverage that both Russia and Ukraine has put out publicly, you can see that it's kind of taken them a little bit by surprise that they've suddenly realized the dam has been broken and then pointed the finger at each other. And that's sort of very interesting because, you know... It's almost like they had no previous knowledge that the dam almost ever existed. <laughs> and then and then it's broken and they're starting to now put out, you know, propaganda that each each of them each because of them did it, it. It just yeah. It, yeah, yeah, it doesn't it. I I was just listening to a few quick stories this morning. It doesn't seem that it was that severe. I mean when you when you see the pictures in the video, that's quite the spectacle. A giant dam that's breaking apart massive amounts of water rushing through but then you hear only 1300 people had to be evacuated which i mean from certain perspectives that's a lot of people but on a grand scale when you talk about you know 
the destruction from war and the fallout from infrastructure being destroyed, et cetera, having only 1,300 people evacuated, my uh, minimal injuries from what I've heard so far, of course, it's, it's a problem with both sides working propaganda angles, w- which makes complete sense. Yeah. It's very difficult to find really, really hard figures and evidence from either side on this sort of stuff. And that was one of the things that these these guys on the the Duran podcast kept cheering for. Um, Russia's of uh, sort of making all of this information readily available, right? You know, right from the go. Uh, they're they're talking a lot about Ukraine's summer offensive and how they and until this this part was kind of funny, although I hope not not insulting or offensive. How they said that Ukraine won't they won't announce their that they've begun their summer offensive until they have something positive to report, and then they'll say, "Yeah, that this that was it. We started our summer offensive, and that was how we took back." these territories um i i just i think it's really interesting that no one else has trotted out this this concept that the dam was old it was in disrepair um i mean the war has been going on for a year i doubt that that zelensky would be pushing you know any kind of infrastructure repair on a dam like that when it's in a war zone. So why do you yeah, think, why do you think no one has made this very, in my opinion, very common sense claim that now the dam was just in rough shape and it needed to be repaired? Uh, I'm not really sure. I, I just don't think that's uh, sexy enough for the uh, newspapers. You know, they're not going to run with the dam was damaged previously in the war, like eight months ago the water went too high and then it broke and that that's a shitty headline uh compared to russia has planted c4 with a special forces team and blown up the dam personally and putin's gone down there and said fuck you ukraine i don't like your dam anymore that sounds like something that (laughs) you know sells headlines it was putin himself that's it he got in the zodiac boat he had he had his wetsuit on (laughs) He dove down. And well, and that's a couple of things there. Why would they do so? So this is one I and I, I connected. Maybe this is because I've been too steeped in, in the Russian propaganda. But when I look at how the dam, the dam wasn't totally wiped out. As we've said, it is. It's I mean, it's plain to see that a section. Well, a, a couple sections in, in a few different places have broken off. Now, to me, that yeah. looks like something impacted on the surface, which would r- support the, the story that it was, oh, you, Ukraine shelled it with its own missiles. And, and by the way, if Ukraine is going to blow up a dam that is in, in Russian territory, I mean, that doesn't seem that, doesn't seem that outrageous through, through watching videos and reading stories and then scrolling further down to read comments and stuff like that, I see people going, oh, this Ukraine, they, how could they, 
they destroyed their the Nord Stream pipeline and now they've they're destroying their own dams and and I'm just thinking, bro, it's wartime. Like they're at war with a soup little old Ukraine that I mean they're yeah. not they're not that little. I mean it's it's about the size of it's it's about the size of a third of the United States if I remembering correctly. Yeah, it's like, a massive country. Some it's people say it, this country. was and this was I I guess a a good example of of the propaganda that is getting by people and they don't even realize. People say that Ukraine is like the size of Texas. I've heard that multiple I mean not much recently but multiple times since the beginning of the war. No, it's mm. it's much bigger than Texas. It's like three te- Texas Texai or Texai, <laughs> however you would say that. <laughs> um, and they're trying to they're trying to fight off this this war power with. I I would hope. I mean, I I try to maintain sort of a, a neutral middle ground at least during during my analysis. Of course, you would blow up. I mean, why would you not blow up your enemy's ability to sell energy to Europe? And and then mm. furthermore, why wouldn't you blow up a dam that your enemy had control of, especially when it's going to cause them difficulty in, in troop movements, et cetera? Yeah. So the only issue I take with that is that there's a there's a common motive for Ukraine to damage the pipeline because it's like the lifeblood of you know Russia's money. The problem with the dam is the dam damages the Russians as much as it damages the Ukrainians because the Ukrainians need to get over the river and also a lot of their defensive bits on the northern side, they have northern towns that are all controlled by Ukraine, they're all being flooded as well. So it's actually damaging both of them, which is why this whole thing makes no sense because both sides are equally getting uh, massive L's. There's no W here. It's just a straight L from both sides because the water is flooding everything on both sides of the river, which are controlled by two different parties. And Zelensky wants support too. He's he's desperate for support. Why would he... Uh... Why would he do something so rash and irresponsible and and destructive to his own people when through, I mean, some of the media that I've been ingesting suggests that a lot of potential supporters in uh, Brazil and India, for that matter, have kind of gotten cold on Zelensky and on the war effort and I've I've even d- heard Zelensky described as unlikable what what do you have to say to that from your perspective I'm not surprised by India India's always been a really big friend of Russia ever since the Soviet days they even em- employ their own Soviet style uh, e- economy with uh, five year plans and stuff like that so the India supporting Ukraine against Russia, I I, I never thought that was going to be a thing. Um, and India Brazil has well. yeah, they, yeah. they they've got that um, that BRICS alliance, which is uh, BRICS: B Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, and I think Saudi Arabia. 
I see. I don't know, and I'm not an expert on this. I didn't prepare any any notes for this for this topic, <laughs> but I think Saudi Arabia is is flirting with the idea of of joining this BRICS alliance simply to piss off the United States. Um, yeah. But I also feel like the United States kind of deserves it. Um, I also thought I, I I thought it was interesting that Brazil. I I mean I don't know what you know about Brazilian politics, but do you feel like Brazil's position on the the Ukraine war would be different if if Bolsonaro was the president and not uh, Lula? Uh God, that's that's a really great question. I'm just suspicious um, because the 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 people in Brazil seem to be very upset that Bolsonaro didn't get elect uh didn't get reelected. There was a lot of sort of the same kind of rhetoric about the Brazilian election as there was the American election when Donald Trump wasn't reelected. Large protests and then the following crackdown by the the Lula regime, and it, it's it just I find it very curious that um the Western world, which is very left, I don't know if you would agree uh, from from your perspective in in the UK. It strikes me that with you know Biden sort of still being the leader of the free world, which is just. <laughs> <laughs> it's a joke. Yeah, say, say, say no more. Say no more. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, sort of puts this tint of of leftism uh, on the the entire Western world. But he's very he's very pro. Has been very pro Ukraine. I think everybody's been pro Ukraine. So when Lula, the leftist president of Brazil, is kind of pulling back, do you think it's it's more about I don't know. I have this conspiracy theory that really China is kind of pulling the strings, even when it comes to Russia and Russia's sort of half commitment to to the war in Ukraine. It, it because they in the reporting I hear, the podcasts I listen to, the analysis they say Russia's not fully committed. Do you agree with it's that? True. Yeah, yeah, they're definitely not fully committed. Any any explanation in your opinion? Okay, so it has to come down to um, the public and political deal um, that Russians have with the president, of course. For Russia to fully commit, that would mean, you know, conscription and more deployment of, of their forces. And that means that they have to erode more rights that the Russian people have as private citizens. And... That's not really the, the sort of subconscious deal that they had with Putin. They voted Putin in, and in return, they got private rights. You, you, Mr. Government Putin, you deal with all this stuff and just leave us alone to have our life. Now, if he has to fully commit, and this is why a lot of their propaganda and a lot of their news and a lot of their TV shows that state media always talks about they want to commit more. Why aren't they doing more? Because they're trying to get the public invested in this a little bit more so that when Putin uh, goes to commit more, he's not going to have a whole public revolt against it. So, so then, do, he, yeah, do you think do you think Ukraine really is attacking Russia? 
in like uh, in in Belgorod, I think is where they're focusing their the the drone strikes. Wow, that's actually such a good question because uh, it could be it could be that Ukraine is is trying to do some damage, although I mean their damage is going to be minimal, uh, or it could be the false flag where Russia's trying to go, hey, look, Ukraine is bringing the war to us, so we need to commit. We need to we need to commit more. It could go either way, and anyone that tells you specifically what it what that is is probably going to be a liar unless they have knowledge that isn't public which you know i, I i'm not going to sit sit here and say that i have knowledge that is on the inside or something because I, I don't on that specific one you'd have to talk to uh you'd have to talk to zelensky on that one yeah i i wonder um because the these attacks are being called they say they're just pinpricks and, you know, Russia is bombing the shit out of Ukraine, and then Ukraine turns around and just sends a few drones to, mm. you know, put some cracks in a few buildings. Yeah. There's definitely evidence of clandestine attacks within Russia from Ukraine. Um, but these specific drone attacks, we're not quite sure yet what's going on there. Because as we said, Russia gains, you know, because that, that one drone strike that went up to like the Dugin or whatever uh, and blew up on top of the roof and did like zero damage. I mean, that Is... didn't strike me as something that was like, and then people were like putting in the, in the news article hot highlight, like attempted assassination of Putin or something. I'm thinking, what are you talking about? Putin doesn't even work there. It's a completely different building. So it's, it strikes you as, uh, I, I don't know, I, I, I feel like this is, as I've probably mentioned before, it's, uh, there's some bigger purpose, because I, mm. it, it, I, I don't know, there's so much information that's come out and been, you know, well, nothing's really been retracted, to my knowledge, it's just, you know, kind of like you say, uh, it, the dam breaks, it's sensational news. Ukraine says, oh, it was Russia. Russia says, no, it, was, it had to be Ukraine. It, it wasn't us. First of all, it doesn't really seem, I mean, you look at the pictures. I've said it before. It doesn't really seem like either of their stories are correct. I mean, if you're going to blow up a dam, why, why just knock the top off? Yeah, and, it's one of those things where, uh, I don't know, I looked at some of the dam pictures beforehand like like on Monday, because the, 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 on Monday, the dam actually started to show some damage and some of the water was leaking past the dam wall. And there wasn't, to my knowledge, there wasn't any real visible damage that you could see. Part of the reason why it's so irreparable is because it happened on the southern side where the engine room and controls are. So they're pretty much irreplaceable. If it was just the dam wall, they probably could have fixed it. Uh, but nah, they'd have to start again. So maybe this was going to happen regardless. Do you, think, do you think Zelensky feels pressure to be on the offensive more than on the defensive? While the West sort of, it, it, it seems that the West is content with just, I mean, I don't know, keeping it going, which seems pretty disgusting. 
But what do you, I mean, what do you think Putin's ultimate goal is? Is he trying to reunite the USSR? Is he going to go through Ukraine and, and then Poland and be the next Hitler? Putin's main goal is to stay in power and to extend his power beyond where he is right now. And when he attacked Crimea, it was very, well, when he, when he absorbed Crimea, it was very popular with the Russian people. And so now that he's doing this, I think he, see the, he sees this uh, as a way to, you know, I am Russia. And if you vote for me, um, you know, because I've been able to reunite Ukraine as a sovereign thing. It's, it's, like, a, it's like the world's most expensive PR stunt. You know, do you th- that's where I think he's at. Do you think he's sick, Putin? Do you do you believe nah. the the rumors? No. What do you think they're What do you think they're being based on? It's that he's here, not based- again. Oh, he has a limp. Oh, look, he's not. Uh, uh, <laughs> what was the other? He's not. He doesn't move his other arm when he walks, which I guess is a. It's a KGB thing. Yeah, it's like totally. It's baked into his psyche. So, you know, people are basing this stuff off, like, images and, like, videos and stuff. It's completely outrageous. The, the problem with Putin and the reason why this thing has kicked off so quickly is because during COVID, he completely quarantined himself. And so he had very few people to um, say no to him or to um, check him on his ideas. And so I think this has kind of accelerated because his circle has got a lot smaller and his power to, to enact change has grown, has grown larger. So actually, COVID, funnily enough, the major damage COVID has done has actually sped up uh, the, the Ukraine war situation by making Putin insular. And, that's, and if you look at all dictatorships, that's essentially how it ends up being. Um, you know, Assad, Stalin, Hitler... Their circles got smaller and smaller, and they became more rash until eventually something happened. Yeah, COVID was really bizarre. It it, it became this. It, it was, it, in my opinion, I I and and the opinions of many in my conspiracy circles. It was, oh no, here we here we go. It's it's the new world order. It's the one world government. It's here now, and the it all. I mean, and then the war started. In Ukraine, you know, World War Three. I think, I think we're there. I think this is it. I think people are going to look back Agreed. on on this time, the end of COVID, the beginning of the Ukraine war, and say, that, "Oh, that's when that's when World War Three started." But now, COVID has fizzled to this point. All, all the restrictions are gone. We're feeling the effects of of these these terrible policy decisions. Well, actually. I I just heard, um, I think, gosh, who was I listening to? Doesn't matter. That you, the uh, economy in the UK is actually growing while the economy in Germany is in recession. Do you think, I mean, it was that better leadership decisions? I wouldn't say it's growing. Uh, So you think that's propaganda or just misinformation? we had the previous quarter we grew by 0.1%. The quarter before that we were in 
recession. So we've literally just missed out on being in recession. Our economy is still one of the weakest in the G7, if not the weakest outside of Japan. You know, I would love to be Germany right now because they have a really good export market. <laughs> and uh, our financial market is taking a complete beating. And they make really great cars. They do. I wish they That's they're... the thing. Yeah, <laughs> Germany makes really good stuff. And the UK, we don't make much anymore. Neither does the uh, US. Than... Bad decisions. You guys make oil. <laughs> you guys make oil. You guys are fine. <laughs> That's what well, we used to. We, I mean, I guess we still do. But then Biden got into office and reversed all of Trump's energy policies. For better or for or or worse, I'm I'm not sure. I've you know I've always ha- held this opinion that okay, if if oil is bad, you know, oil and coal and you know the old guard of energy, then why aren't we? Why haven't we been investing in greener technologies for the last mm. twenty years? I mean, as long as like. There's always been a little solar panel on a calculator, as, as, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, now your calculator's on your phone. But we, the point being, we've had this sort of technology for ages. And instead of having this situation where, oh, we've finally done it. Now we, we have these solid state batteries that will charge up in the blink of an eye and, and then, you know, take all day to run out. And, you know, the, this solar infrastructure, like, okay, we've got all this great stuff built up. Now we're ready to flip off the coal powered plants and flip on the wind powered plants. And it's going to be this nice, smooth transition. Our, our electric vehicles are great. You know, they're covered in solar panels. You can drive them 5,000 miles before they need to be recharged. And to recharge, you only need an hour at a recharge station to get a, a full charge. And you can, I mean, instead of having any of that, we have, okay, well, I guess we're just going to have to say no more gas cars in 10 years. And oh, by the way, we're just going to start turning off all of the power plants so sorry and <coughs> pardon me i i don't recall where where i was going with that but the leadership doesn't seem to be actually interested in accomplishing anything i would agree not, it's the same thing in the uk not for the not not from where i'm sitting it seems like they're working for someone else and it seems that those people have a depopulation agenda. And I've always been sort of questioning that depopulation agenda for things like, oh, well, you have to wear your seatbelt when you drive your car. You know, preservation of life, it's the law. If you don't, you know, if you don't wear your seatbelt, yada, yada, yada. Uh, also, oh, the, the big one for me lately was smoking. Oh no, no more smoking. We got to get rid of cigarettes. Cigarettes are filthy. Now, I mean, you can smoke meth on the street, but you better not light up a cigarette. And that was always a sticking point for me when I thought about the COVID and all the conspiracy theories. Like, okay, if they're trying, if, if it really is, entertain the idea of a depopulation agenda by the world's elite. If it really is that, 
then why, why have an FDA? Why have a Surgeon General? Why put yeah, it, why, why put the warnings on all this the sides of the the cigarettes that say, "Hey, this is going to give you cancer and kill you." And then why get I get rid of potential voters. Oh yeah, why why alienate people at all? Exactly. And then I I learned that nicotine actually has some grand uh, neuroprotective properties and increased focus, you know, etc. But it's actually the smoking of the tobacco that's hazardous to your health that causes cancer. And, you know, you're, when you vape, it's, you know, X amount of chemicals in, in whatever vape liquid. But what also came along with that is, and it, it needs to be studied, was that the COVID patients that were smokers actually had a minimal impact and uh weren't weren't sick either didn't get sick or and weren't s- sick for as long my opinion there is just you know the virus couldn't live in those diseased tar-ridden lungs <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's amazing that humans can live with those let alone a bloody virus <laughs> do you smoke did you ever smoke no, I've never smoked. Oh, I, I don't. I don't vape either. But vaping is becoming a huge problem here in the UK, especially with kids. Oh yeah, it's, a lot of kids are buying them. It's big here too. I I smoked for about, I smoked for seven years and vaped for maybe another three or four years. Even got myself down to not ingesting any nicotine and and just smoking or, or vaping the 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 vape juice and when i eventually so i had i had kids and i didn't want to do that in front of them because you know the kids want to do whatever they see their parents doing Mm, yeah of course and it it was surprisingly difficult like it, it really makes an argument for the you know the the physical addiction the act of just smoking something being one of the more difficult aspects to get over you know you gotta you gotta break that habit and that but then i heard this news about the benefits of nicotine on focus and mental clarity and stuff and those those are things that i struggle with so i've been i i wouldn't say obsessively thinking about how i could ingest some nicotine but it's been on my mind. I just have no desire. Well, that's not entirely true. <clears throat> and this is part of the reason that I'm, I'm apprehensive is I, I do have a little bit of desire to go back to smoking and or vaping. And I, but I think that's most people that, that have an addiction like that. And then you throw in the idea that it's going to also protect me from COVID. And I'm like, okay, I'm all in. How do I tell my wife? <laughs> but no, I don't I don't want to go I don't want to go back there. I don't want to go back there and I'm glad that COVID is not it's not something I mean I was never really worried about it. I think it, it was like Donald Trump said we can't let the uh we can't let the cure be be worse than the virus and and he was 
in in context, he was talking about the lockdowns, the 15 days to slow the spread that turned into, I, I remember seeing these memes. It was so good. Uh, it said the, the hardest part or the, the toughest part of 15 days to slow the spread is the first two years or something, something to that effect, <laughs> because it was supposed to be fif- uh, 15 days. We're just going to, we're going to flatten the curve. You know, all these, all these little taglines that have persisted in our culture now turned into this, this big effort to, to crack down on the population and usher in this new world order. But now that's fizzled and everyone I'm, I'm surprised it's not happening here in the States. I mean, I think it's because of, of who the president is now. There hasn't been any, I mean, okay. So the CDC director, Rochelle Walensky, She's resigned. She doesn't work for the CDC anymore. And then there's this underlying conspiracy that she never was actually appointed to be the director of the CDC to begin with. She did the job as a consultant. She, we were all told that she's the director. But then the paperwork comes out after she's already resigned. And it says, look, like she never did these things that she was supposed to do to become the director. Mm. Fauci has resigned. He he's yeah. gone. Now, um, what? Uh, just to interject, interject. Yeah. What do you think is conservatives in the U.S. going to think about Trump trying to get reelected, since he was the one that archetyped most of the Fauci and the early sort of COVID response that the U.S. had? Well, my opinion. I don't have a. I don't have a fine opinion, but I do have these thoughts. One, I think Trump is going to get, well, so uh, he gets a lot of criticism because of his decision to keep Fauci in, you know, in, in the public eye for, for this period of time when, when COVID was first, you know, sweeping the planet, he would do a press conference every morning. And he would he would trot Fauci out there to to, you know, give the numbers and and talk about what we're going to do. He gets a lot of criticism about about that. But sort of the further we get away from his his time in the White House, the more it becomes clear how sort of his hands were tied because he had this uh, he had this Ukraine phone call in which he got impeached. So the House of Representatives who did the impeaching was controlled by the Democrats. The Democrats only voted the Democrat, uh, the Democrat way, which was disappointing because I feel like politicians should be voting for their constituents, not voting the way Nancy Pelosi wants them to vote. Now, once that impeachment vote goes through, okay, he's impeached. Now it has to go to the Senate and the Senate can decide to convict and remove him from office or, you know, ba- basically dismiss the charges and say, oh, no. Well, so the the Senate is controlled by the Republicans very narrowly at the time. Well, when we get into January 6th and he's impeached again, there were there was all of this discussion about. 
the Senate's ability to convict and remove and barring him from running again. So if basically he's at the mercy of Mitch McConnell, who is he's a Republican, but he's a swamp creature. He's in China's pocket. His uh, his wife is Chinese. Her family owns a huge shipping company in China. And uh, as we all know, the Chinese Communist Party controls all of the business in China. So if Mitch McConnell wants to be a good husband to his wife, he's going to have to allow himself to be manipulated by China. China is scared shitless of Donald Trump. So if Donald Trump wants to do anything that's going to upset China, China says to Mitch McConnell, hey, we're going to destroy your wife's family in China unless you stop Donald Trump from doing this thing that he wants to do. So then Mitch McConnell has to turn to Donald Trump and say, hey, if you don't do these things that I want you to do, then the Senate will vote to convict you, remove you from office, and you won't be able to run another term. Interesting. So I have to give him a little bit of slack in that regard. Because, I mean, maybe it's not true. Maybe it's just American propaganda. But I have a tendency to believe it because it seems, I mean, a a lot of these Republicans in the Senate have shown themselves to be scumbags, not worthy of our vote and not worthy of holding office. Now that he's decided to run again, I think he's, I, I think one of the points of attack for the Democrats, is they're, they're, they're going to completely turn on him with the, with, with his response to COVID. They're going to, they're going to blame him for the faulty vaccines. They're going to blame him for inflation. They're going to blame him for the recession because they will be able to point to, oh, look at his personnel decisions. Look how he kept Fauci. Look how he agreed to lock down. This is going to be a lot of the argument from people like uh, Ron DeZonctus, as I like to call him. And by the way, <laughs> it's DeZonctus. People keep tr- trying to come up with, with so <laughs> Trump called him Ron DeSanctimonious. Terrible. Not a good. So now, now he's shortened it to Ron DeSanctus, which isn't even a word. Then uh, other people say oh, Ron, Ron DeSemptus, you know, other it's, it's, can we just all agree? Market right now, 7.01 AM, 6-7-2023. It's DeZonctus because Zonk is the exact word that you would use to describe Ron DeSantis. Let's look it up really quick because I don't, I don't remember it right off the top of my head. Come on, brave, don't let me down. And we're thinking, do I have an internet connection? But anyway, so it, it's not coming up or it's running really slow. Something, it's always something. But it's literally the definition is like to, to oh, here it is, finally. To cause to be asleep. <laughs> Often used with zout, without, so like zonk out. To stupefy or intoxicate. To go to sleep or be asleep. So I hereby decree, if you're not a fan of Ron DeSantis, you will refer to him as Ron DeZonctus. DeZonctus. <laughs> but I'm, I'm surprised. And, and, and I think if, if he becomes an actual threat, 
that the investigations from the Democrats, you know, the the these uh, puppet DAs that are going to come up with some false charges to try to get him. I, I think if if Ron if Ron DeSantis really is a threat to Joe Biden's reelection, for example, I don't even think the Democrats are going to go with Joe Biden. Ultimately, I think he's probably on his way out. I think uh, they have to go with Joe Biden. Well, see, I I, 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 I agree. They have to. I why why I, do you think so? I think they have to because it looks so bad on them if Joe goes, I'm going for the re-election, and he becomes a second president in a row to not do two terms in a row. You're I, you're I right. That is kind of shameful. Yeah, they. I think they. I think they have to. I think Joe, by Joe saying he's going to go for a re-election, I think he has done the Democrats a real disservice. I think the Democrats should have said, "We'll do this because we can." I don't know. Undo what Trump did for four or five years, and then we'll move on to someone that uh, has lower blood pressure um, and gets up at eight o'clock in the morning. Well, I think. I agree with you there. And I think that the Democrats believe that Trump is going to be the nominee. I think the Democrats might even be willing to help Trump become the nominee because I don't personally believe that we had a a legitimate election in 2020. There are still lawsuits going on. Um, Just the basics of my my disbelief in the legitimacy are that secretaries of state etc changed the voting rules outside of the law it's it's the the legislatures in each state are supposed to decide the voting laws they used this covid pandemic as an excuse to hop the rules and say, oh, we're just going to do it this way. Everybody can vote by mail, and then we're not going to verify signatures, and we're going to get the guy that we want. I think that the Democrats can do the very same thing again in 2024 if they have a Biden-Trump matchup with a lot less fear than they would if it were Biden and DeSantis or, you know... RFK versus Trump because all they have to do is say, yeah, see Biden beat Trump once and Biden beat Trump again. Like what's so hard to believe about that. And then the, the, the cries for election reform get quieter and quieter. Um, also, I mean, another benefit to, to having Trump be the, the Republican nominee is the Democrats can, as, as I said, they can blame him for all of the terrible things that happened post COVID because of the decisions that that were made by our leadership. And I'm actually kind of surprised that, uh, that kind of thing isn't going already. I mean, and that's why I think it will be because it's already going on in the UK with poor old Boris Johnson. (laughs) Do you agree? Uh Is, is he, is he a poor old? Or, or is he a, a crotchety old bastard? Man, I, I would never say poor Boris Johnson. He has brought upon himself 
all kinds of scrutiny and to no fault of his own. I mean, he has been the architect of his own demise um, because he showed complete contempt for everyone uh, that wasn't himself or his immediate circle. He definitely has his immediate circle. Just the American perspective on on the little bit that I've listened. And and I, I have to try to I try to stay non-biased but he mm. does seem like a bit of a uh, posh douchebag when i listen to him talk does that seem pretty accurate yeah i mean he went to a school in the uk called eton and that's like the top top private school you know where they wear like straw hats and you know like special clothes and stuff and that's where a lot of like politicians from from the conservatives end up end up going so he he is your like typical posh wanker uh as we would call them in the uk he's been the the center of uh at least the the this covid inquiry discussion that's happening in the in the uk right now what what what's it about what are they inquiring after so they are inquiring um about the country's handling of the covid19 pandemic so they're just inquiring to that whole process and trying to figure out if there was any wrongdoing um, in the handling of the, the entire pandemic. And I'm, and so I'm this, anxious. Yeah. I, I hope that sort of thing happens here because there was an interesting story. And um, this actually might be a good topic to go over in the next show. Uh, but there's a writer, uh, a journalist, uh, very little known as far as I know. I've only heard him doing interviews this year. Um, but he's been exposing the uh, the campaign that was run by the Chinese, the Chinese Communist Party, that was meant to push lockdowns on the rest of the co- the rest of the world and to sort of celebrate China's response. And it went all the way down to the local level, where there's there's emails that show, you know, Chinese representatives saying, you know, we've seen a lot of success. Everybody's celebrating that we have locked these places down and we've been successful stopping the spread. And it, it's, it's to the point where it's become very suspicious because China also has this list of governors that they've logged like a spreadsheet saying, oh, this governor's friendly, this governor's not friendly, this governor is neutral that's sort of painting this bigger picture that China is really running these massive influence operations on Paul. I mean, well, it would be naive to say that it was only politicians in the United States, the whole world locked down with no sort, with no kind of real hard evidence to prove that that was going to be an effective strategy. Is there concern among among the british population that is, is is that what we're inquiring over with this covid inquiry are we looking for foreign influence and corporate influence yeah re- really any anything i think they they're casting <laughs> the net as wide as possible uh to cover yeah foreign influence as well as um uh budgets being spent in the wrong place there were a lot of 
There was a lot of money flying around in the COVID-19 pandemic from the government to various private institutions to make masks or to make uh, other, you know, PP, PPC or something. Um, so it, it's really casting the net as wide as possible. And I think they're going to, from what I understand, start at the very top and have a look at how the government specifically handled the the pandemic. Um, so you know that this 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 uh this inquiry was set up in 2021. So already, you know, two years. Who's running this, it? it was a... So uh, Judge Heather Hallett is uh, is running this uh, inquiry. So the inquiry is completely independent from from Excellent. the government, uh, which is something that the UK does really really well. Actually, we we have independent inquiries that have the power to request any information that they ask, and you are not allowed to say no. Uh, the government is trying to say no. Yeah, Boris Johnson. He doesn't want to give up his. Uh, he doesn't want to give up his his WhatsApp ah, so messages and his his diary. This is where you're wrong. This is where everyone is somehow getting this wrong. Boris Johnson is trying desperately to give his information to the inquiry. No kidding. Now. The government, the government, is saying no. So, oh, and then they're blaming yeah. Boris Johnson. Yes, and this is and this is what, well, th this is what Boris didn't want to happen because he doesn't want the government to make it look like that Boris is the person that's somehow uh, in impeding this process. He is saying, please take all the messages. He's now trying to dig up his old phone that had some kind of security problem with it, that he's trying to get the messages off that phone to give out for all the messages and text messages you had pre I think June or July 2021 and the government is in this you know sort of legal battle between the inquiry and themselves the cabinet office you know about which materials it are, is an inquiry allowed to um uh, uh request because they the government is saying that they shouldn't have to give over everything you know unredacted they should be able to redact things that are not important to the inquiry whereas the inquiry is saying nah and i can kind of understand it because it's a conflict of interest for the government to redact things that would in some way damage themselves so i'm on the, i'm definitely on the side of give over all the uh all the stuff because yes. if there's anything that's if there's anything that isn't pertinent to the inquiry you can't use that anyways in evidence because it's just like it's just like any other court case. You can't bring up the fact that Boris Johnson had a Range Rover. That is that is information that's not going to be it's not relevant in any yeah, it's not relevant. So there's there's really nothing that they're they're just trying to use this as a soapbox to say that inquiries can't just request everything because that sets a precedent in the future that they could be further inquiries that have this same level of transparency. And of course, this inquiry in particular is extremely important. And for one other reason that no one's saying, because the election in the UK is next year, okay? And the inquiry's uh, findings apparently are supposed to come out around 2026, three years from now. So if the Tories don't win next year, it will be Labour and Labour will get these results. And they will run all kinds of news articles about the Tories 
if this stuff comes out and it's bad for the Tories. And what's, the Tories won't win election for years. What's Boris Johnson's party? Uh, the Tories, the Conservatives. Okay. Yeah. So I, I have, I have a lot of thoughts. First, there's always the caveat that not necessarily everything that gets turned over to the inquiry is going to be made public. However, from the American standpoint, we see these investigations go on and there's always leaks because I mean, it, it's, it, it, it's the swamp, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you've heard the, the terminology. Donald Trump was going to drain the swamp, the swamp being as we've learned recently, the Justice Department charged with running all of the investigations. The Justice Department uses the media to influence public opinion. So they leak these things out. If you were talking about a, a similar scenario in the United States, I think we would all be inclined to believe that any information used or, the, or any information delivered to the inquiry would be systematically leaked out to the press to damage the, you know, lesser preferred candidate and to boost the, the preferred candidate. That doesn't seem to be like, that doesn't seem like it would be the case in, in the UK in, in this inquiry. Does that sound yeah, right? So it depends on the government. Like if I remember like a year ago, the government was leaking basically everything. But they were such a leaky ship. They had fucking leaks everywhere. And at the moment, they're doing a little bit better. Um, with the inquiry, it's a, it's, it's a lot different because the materials are so sensitive. Um, there's very few eyes. And the independent inquiry, the people that work on that, if they were to leak some of that stuff, it would only hurt them. So anyone that works on that, I mean, they're very professional people. Um, you know, from the government side and civil service, not many people are going to see those kind of documents. So... There's not going to be many leaks there, but, you know, back in the COVID era and back last year with all the Liz Trust stuff going on, I mean, there were leaks coming out everywhere. Every single office was leaking stuff about what was going on. So, you know, we, we have uh, leaky ships uh, dependent on the government. Um, so there's, there's, uh, there's no I mean, that's, real difference there. That's really the only argument that I would make in favor of protecting the privacy of of Boris Johnson and and these you know any anyone else that has to give up their private information for the most part i mean i think if you're going to run for office if you're going to run for president everything should you should have to submit all of your all of your messages all of your emails if you're going to run investigations on these if the justice department is going to run investigations on these candidates they need to start now not after they've already been elected not when it's shown to be the, not, not when they've been shown to be the leader of their particular political party because our leaders can't be hampered by these investigations when they're trying to run the country We've trusted them to run the country. We need to see who they are. And that's why I, when I hear, so, so I listened to uh, James O'Brien mm. of, of the, the LBC. What is that? Liverpool? 
broadcasting company? Uh, uh, no. Uh, what does LBC stand for? Let me just Google it real quick. <laughs> I can't remember. Leading Britain's conversation. That's what it means. Oh, nice. That's 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 much better. Uh, he so so James O'Brien. Just to give the listeners an idea of of James O'Brien's politics. James O'Brien called COVID the largest and most lethal crisis that that the UK has ever faced in in peacetime. Now, the uh, the data may prove him correct, but the ones preparing the data, I would be very suspicious of because recently it's come and I'm not trying to dive into conspiracy theories, but recently a report, I believe from Israel came out that said, uh, no healthy people aged 18 to 50 actually died of COVID. And I, and I don't, you know, like I said, I didn't, I didn't prepare the study. I don't know all the, the inner workings. It sounds very sensational, uh, but also it sounds very believable when you know that uh, hospitals in the States, for example, were actually given cash incentive to put COVID as the cause of death on death certificates and even laws surrounding the way death certificates were supposed to be prepared were changed and suspended to allow COVID to be listed as the cause of death, even though there were other comorbidities that led to the death uh, along with COVID or perhaps without regard to COVID. There's also, I have a lot of suspicion about the tests that were being used uh, about COVID. It, it, It really seems like we damaged ourselves more through the leadership decisions pertaining to COVID than actually would have if we just let the disease run its course. Do you, do you generally agree or generally disagree? I don't know. I think I'm somewhere, I'm somewhere in between. It's, it's, it's really, it's really difficult. It's really difficult in hindsight um, to say what we should have done uh you know i think well when i see perhaps, when yeah. i see youtube banning channels that question the covid narrative this is in my opinion i mean i never got a reason why but this is why my first podcast was totally nuked because i was talking about this kind of thing and that's why none of this content is on youtube Sub- subscribe on rumble by the way when i see youtube canceling these channels and then the ads in between the videos I watch are big pharma products. I go, Oh, that's why people weren't allowed to talk about, you know, to, to go against the COVID narrative because there's so much money involved. I mean, this is one of the reasons why I can't get behind professional sports because there's so much money involved. These people, in my opinion, have to be able to rely on a predetermined outcome. And when it comes to misinformation in the media and, and online, you think this is because these massive corporations, it could be nothing more insidious than, than quarterly profits. They have to put this, I mean, and, and this is also, in my opinion, why corporations own most of the media. Because they want to be able to have that certainty of outcome. They need to know that 
we've we've put all of these stories out there. We've done our best to influence public opinion so we know how they're going to behave. This story about the dam breaking, when I sent you that link, I wasn't seeing it reported on any other outlets, just that one, which immediately makes me suspicious because, first of all, if it was hard facts, if it was, uh, you know, solid reporting, it would be everywhere because facts would be can would be sort of unanimously agreed upon so everyone could could put it out there. <coughs> so at least yeah, I mean the 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 Daily Mail one, I mean there was about eight different articles I saw yesterday on the Ukraine dam uh destruction, we'll say. The Daily Mail was the worst one. That was the worst one. The most their sensational. Headline, their headline literally said Russia blows up dam. That was their headline. <laughs> So I was just outraged, completely outraged. So it's like, got to get, you... it's got to get clicks. It's got to be sensational. You know, they're, they're trying to run yeah. a business. They want to keep their business afloat. Like I, I understand all that. Most of my conspiracy theories, I, I tend to bring it all back to wanting more, more, more money, more clicks, more sort of predictable human behavior. And and that's why I think, uh, you know, from from Fauci, the the discussion of of masks first, he said, like he, he had emails come out where he responded to people's questions about masks by saying, no, masks really aren't very effective. Don't worry about uh, putting a mask on to protect yourself. Then he went public with that same information in, in a press conference, said the same thing. I think that's right. And then came the mask mandates. Hey, everybody mask up. Part of this uh, fear campaign, in my opinion, to ultimately sell more vaccines. And I think that's what really will be the focus of this, the, the 2024 American presidential campaign and this inquiry into Boris Johnson. What were you saying? behind the scenes what were you i mean this 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 whole conversation i mean multiple times in the conversation with uh james i keep wanting to say james Lindsay, but james (laughs) o'brien yeah um continuously was brought up oh he went to uh he went to this party at checkers what's uh what's all that about um the party at checkers yeah what's the what's the uh uh, why can't I think so of the, the part- word? The party gate thing. Yeah. Yeah, so... <laughs> so, basically, long story short, uh, at a time when restric- restrictions were probably at its highest, uh, some leaks came out. <laughs> Very leaky ship at that time. Uh, that the people in government, and not at Checkers, it was actually at number 10 Downing Street, like, oh yeah, um, that was that was the other thing I remember. There was there was the the checkers thing and the Downing Street thing were both brought yeah, up. Like they 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 were basically just not following the rules, and then they ended up getting served fixed penalty notices by the police. So they actually like they actually were fined. They were actually fined. They actually did break 
you know, they didn't say they broke the law. They said they broke the guidance. But when they talked about it with us, it was like, if you don't stay inside, you're going to be shot in the street. That's how it's like, that's how it sounded. Yeah. Well, and, and it was the same. Partying, yeah. <clears throat> It was the same here in the States. The The mayor of Chicago, Lori Lightfoot, went out to get her hair done when all of the salons were closed. And when she was asked about it, she basically just said, well, I needed to get my hair done. Hygiene is very important to me, yada, yada, yada. Basically, I don't care. Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, went to this very upscale restaurant called the French Laundry with, you know, 12 of his friends. Same thing, you know, sitting close proximity, no masks. During the height, as you said, of of the COVID restrictions, I think this demonstrates that it wasn't as serious as they were claiming to us that it was. And they all knew it. They knew that the I mean, they they would do things. I'm sure you saw where, where they would they would be off to the side of the stage in a group of people talking with no mask on. Then they would put their mask on, walk up to the microphone, take their mask off, and begin talking into the microphone. Yeah, there was real. clear Sorry. there was clear theater involved. My question is, as it pertains to this James O'Brien show, what? It, it, I mean, if they've if they've already paid their fines and accepted responsibility what do you hmm. think they're trying to find in his messages because this is what the, the callers kept bringing up oh we're going to see in his messages that he made some comments about how COVID's not really serious is that going to be a bombshell yeah I think there's going to be a lot in there that because if you look at Matt Hancock's messages during the time, they were running the government in a very casual manner. It didn't feel like they were running it in a very professional manner. Um, as the WhatsApp messages outline, you know, Boris Johnson would look at the news of the day and decide what the policy was going to be based on how that would make him look in the press and not really how that would benefit the nation. So do you think so the think government, be... go ahead. Uh, no, you, you, you asked me, go for it. Do you think the government is concerned that these messages, the, the, the WhatsApp messages from Boris Johnson and the, his diary are going to expose that they all knew the situation wasn't as serious as they were claiming on the media and that they're all going to be exposed for pushing this lockdown propaganda that wasn't that had no basis in science but was also very harmful no i i think this comes down to the 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 the, the legal definition of what they're doing i think you know that's going to come out regardless because um, you know, that would be pertinent, pertinent to the case. So they're going to get that regardless. I think what they're trying to do is, obviously, this is going to have some sort of effect, this inquiry, right? You think Whether... it's meant to keep, to keep Boris Johnson from holding office again? Does he want to be the prime minister again? Uh, 
<laughs> I think he does want to be prime minister again. Whether anyone lets him, I'm, I'm not sure. But I think just to go back to the to the government, sure. I think the government's main issue with this is they do not want the same level of transparency in further inquiries. And so I think they're taking issue with this one in particular, not because it's the COVID one, but because they don't want to set a future precedent that this is the level of transparency you should have to step up to in order to be a part of an inquiry. So I think this, because what's going to happen is, is they're going to give over all the messages, right? The inquiry in 2025, 2026 is going to come out and basically outline all this stuff that's been going on. And from then on, it's going to be like, well, we should have an inquiry about this. We should have an inquiry about that. We should have an inquiry about all these things. And suddenly there's going to be this massive declassification of information. I think that's what they're worried about. It's nothing to do with this immediate COVID issue. I think they're worried about the future ramifications of completely opening inquiries. What, and and how, do you, how do you personally feel about that? Um, about the inquiries, just about this broader, I mean, this, this inquiry, you say they're worried that it's going to set the precedent for a more broad transparency to, to everyone involved. Do you think that's a net positive? Do you think more, definitely. more transparency? You want more transparency? Uh, definitely. Because one of the problems with our governments recently is, is they've become more presidential. So they've become a little bit more like what your government is doing now, which is signing executive orders and kind of skirting around the Senate and the House when they don't feel like it, it, it's it's for them. And the same thing is in our government, they become more presidential and through COVID, they gained powers where they were able to do things without the consent of Parliament. And this is a really good thing, because if there is going to be more transparency with inquiries in the future, then it forces governments to, to not take measures that would obviously be found uh, not very good in future inquiries. So this level of transparency is going to make government uh, much more accountable and therefore, they'll be accountable to Parliament in a greater way. So this is going to be just a, a net W. Um, and you can tell it's going to be a net W because anyone that goes against this inquiry, people like Jacob Rees-Mogg, who is a, I don't know, he, he's conservative, libertarian-esque conservative, but he's just such a snake, that guy. And all he said about the inquiry is how much it was costing. And I was like, yeah, he was like, he came up with some random number. I don't know where he got this number from. It was 110 million it's cost so far. But I was thinking I would much rather pay my tax money to pay for an inquiry that's going to rip apart the entire government about what they were doing in COVID. I do Same. not mind pa paying my tax money for that. Same. I would, I would much rather have the FBI investigating future presidential candidates than investigating people that are you know, there's this guy, uh, his name's Tom Fitton. He runs this organization called Judicial Watch. And basically, Judicial Watch is constantly filing uh, FOIA requests. It's uh, FOIA, Freedom of Information Act, which, which basically means, you know, it, most, most things are public information and you have to produce them when when we request that you produce them so he's basically an enemy of the state 
so the state is now investigating him and summoning him to testify before grand juries. And I would much rather have them do that kind of thing to uh, Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, uh, RFK. The uh, I can't think of any other. I mean, you know, Joe Biden, obviously they're not going to investigate Joe Biden. And that's the problem because we have this partisan justice department, which I think is a product of allowing the president to appoint all of these people. I think we need to be voting on these, mm-hmm. on these uh, uh, appointments. And, you know, m- maybe we don't do it in, in the, uh, in the election. Maybe, maybe we have some kind of crossover where the first 90 days or the first three months, the, the new incumbent president has to work with the cabinet from the previous administration because we need to have professionals. We don't, we can't have a bunch of partisans that are only working to undermine the, the people they work with because their politics don't align. And I feel like that's a big important part of having this kind of transparency so that we can see who the people are that we're electing. Not only what the media is going to print and and report about them, and not just what they say from themselves and their their campaign managers, but who they really are as people. I don't know where I would draw the line. I don't know if I would draw the a line. Of course, there's always the potential. I mean, once it becomes part of the standard process, it would be easy for, you know, Ron DeSantis and and his team, for example, to go, okay, we're going to announce that we're going to run. So we need to go back five years through all of my correspondence and make sure there's nothing unsavory in there. But I still think that some is better than none. And right now we have none. And I think that's because getting back to corporate influence over media and politics, they donate to political campaigns because they want to have uh, uh, f- people that are friendly to them holding these high offices so that there will at least be some, they, they, the politicians will at least feel some level of obligation to honor these companies that donated so much money to their campaigns. I think that's another huge problem uh, that exists in, in, at least in American politics, is there's so much money being shoveled to candidates and and their shell companies that you can't i mean it's it's no surprise that we suffer rigged elections these corporations want to return on their investment they don't want to leave it up to the voice of the people just like they don't want to leave up leave the outcome of of a sports contest to the officials and and the talents of the 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 teams that are that are playing is there uh is there corporate? I mean, I'm I'm sure there's some level of corporate corporate influence, but is it so uh, is it so seedy and and shadowy in the UK that that you're aware of? Uh, there, there is some level of of corporate lobbying, um, but it has to be declared. I mean, it literally has to be declared, and they're not allowed to like lobby in the courts and stuff like that for for things. I mean, it's just not it's just not doesn't happen the way it's usually. Uh, a company can donate to a to a donor, and then 
the like the MP or something, and then the MP has to declare that I've taken money from this company. And it's so that, it's similar. That... It's similar here. There's actually a website that I always refer to. It's called OpenSecrets.org. But with within the last, um, <clears throat> and I think it's probably just for American politicians. Um, in the last, I'd say five years, though, a lot has changed in the way the numbers are represented, and I, I can only believe that that's because of corporate influence. They don't, they don't want to, uh, they don't want to make it known where all the money is really coming from because it, yeah. it, it all comes from the same place. And I've said it before. You can see the biggest companies give money almost equally to Democrat candidates and Republican candidates because really yeah. they're paying for power. They're not paying for ideology. They're paying for power. Yeah, the, the <laughs> level of money here in the UK is completely different uh, from America as well. Like, I can't remember his name, but I believe two or three years ago, one conservative MP ended up resigning as it turned out he hadn't declared that two companies had lobbied him uh for the sum of a hundred thousand pounds that's a very small amount of money really uh for for something like lobbying i mean usually lobbying in america is millions upon millions and millions of pounds yeah and you can donate directly as a as a person you can donate directly to to parties and and companies can as well but it, it it's, it's nowhere near on the same scale where you can clearly see a like company influence on laws and stuff like that in the uk it's just not the same well there's near the same there's a big story developing actually um through another sort of tom fitton-esque character uh he's like a he's almost like a private investigator but his name is james o'keefe and he recently uncovered uh through his organization uh o'keefe media group he was the founder of Project Veritas, which, um, you know, I've covered their work on this show before. Uh, he was recently, it was, it was very scandalous, definitely something to get into for the next show. Um, he was removed from his company by the board. It was a nonprofit, 501c3, I think. And some of the laws regarding operating these type of nonprofit businesses is that you have to have a board that operates the company. So the board removed him. He went and started his own, uh, you know, a new business, essentially doing the same thing and recently uncovered that people that have ever donated to uh, this organization, Act Blue, which is a, a Democrat, you know, fundraising, um, maybe you'd call it a super PAC. I don't, I don't know if that's right. PAC being short for uh, political action committee. He uncovered by, by going to these people's doors, he, he was able to show that these people had made tens and thousands of small amount donations without their knowledge. Basically it was these tens of thousands of donations of, of, you know, like dollar 25 thousands of times even a day in an effort no doubt to hide that so much money was being moved you know 
when you see a transaction for a dollar, it doesn't raise any warning signs. Mm. When you see 10,000 donations over a period of just a few days coming from the same person, it creates suspicion. So he went to these people and said, hey, was this you doing this? 500 times you donated a dollar in one day? And they were like, no, nope, that wasn't me. I didn't do that. I wish I could have. And it would be, this is definitely, I mean, we've, we've reached our time, but we should definitely go into this on the next show because it's really interesting and really alarming. So we'll leave it there. Thanks everyone for listening. Please, if you haven't already, uh, hit that subscribe button and share the show. We rely on you. Uh, to spread the word, although you will, uh, you'll probably be seeing some marketing from the Earthbox podcast in the future. 404, what say you? Yeah, thank you very much for joining us again on our random ramblings through some of the latest uh, news. Make sure to uh, subscribe to this podcast. And as I said last time, the next thing you should do is go on the next episode. Thank you. Well said. We will be back.